What's up, everybody? Vice here. Thank you for tuning in to another brand new episode of Writer's Block. Now, I apologize about not having a show last week. I had a guest lined up, but uh, the stars just weren't aligned and we weren't able to make it happen. But I do have a different guest scheduled for this week, and then that guest from last week will be on next week. It's a little bit convoluted, but it's working. I promise it'll be cool. So, a little bit of updates, I guess. Not really much, you know, no show last week, but I'm recording this one today, so it will be out this week. Um, Yeah, I think that's about it. Um, Trying to get a whole whole list of people who want to be on the podcast. I have other musicians, bands, um, dog groomers, other kinds of artists. Like, I'm really excited about the, um, the content that I'm going to be putting out here within the course of the next month or two. Because I have a lot of people who want to be on. And I think it's going to be really cool to hear a lot of people's stories and just understand deeper um, what it is that these people do. So I think it's going to be great. Uh, I also did manage to find um, my very first hip-hop track. So I'm going to be doing a deep dive into that song at some point. This was a song I've teased uh, on other episodes of the show where I talk about my music, that one that only really existed on SoundCloud, but I'm going to bring it to the masses. So should be fun. Um, now for today's guest. Now, today's guest is a buddy of mine that I met through the music scene. He himself is a musician. He's a stupid talented guitar player. Um, more recently, he has delved into the world of comic books he has created his own publishing label called uh, demi urgent creative he currently has two comic books out one called the feathers of onyx which is a sci-fi fantasy story about zura who is the leader of an assassin's guild called the feathers of onyx who were thought to be extinct their mission is to take out a tyrannical emperor that's making life hell for the people of astraea and the second comic book is called flesh nest a cosmic body horror story about a working man who wakes up on the floor at his job and finds almost all of his co-workers are dead. A security officer speaks with him over intercoms to lock the place down in light of all these horrors that lurk around every corner. Both of those sound super dope. I'm a little more interested in Flesh Nest because I'm kind of sick like that, but both of those sound awesome. So I'm looking forward to getting to understand more about how and why he created those things and just to find out why he is so into comic books and stuff these days. Um, I don't really know anybody who's like super into comic books, so I'm really excited to get his take on it. Uh, Yeah, should be a fun time. So grab a chair, sit back, relax, and keep it right here on Writer's Block. Alright everybody, what's up? Vice is here again. I am here right now with my guest whose name I forgot to mention in the intro. is my buddy. His name is Cole Music. It's like the sickest fucking last name ever, man. Say hi to the people, dude. What's going on, everybody? Listening to Writer's Block? Uh, how you doing, man? It's been a while. It has been, man. Way too long. Since, yeah. uh, since, the, since the lockdown days. Yeah. Way too long, but uh, it's, the last few weeks have been a process and... 
you know, it is what it is. But, you know, things are pretty good. Yeah. I think they're pretty good. I've seen your, your comics and everything really exploding online, or at least the one. Like, I didn't know about Flesh Nest until you told me about it. But I remember seeing the Feathers of uh, the feathers of Onyx on there, and it looked like that took off really well. So that's what we're going to be diving into, and then just this whole culture around comics and stuff in general, because this is not a thing that I am a part of. I'm not like the biggest comic book fan in the world. I do appreciate the culture of cosplay and, you know, the different heroes and the different stories and stuff, but I was never like, I never deep dived uh, into it. So before we touch on the culture as a whole, let's, let's talk about your comic books and everything. So first off, what are your comic books? What is your role with them? And just how, how are they doing? Okay. So the first one is mentioned, uh, Feathers of Onyx, which was published through Spiral Link Comics. Um, thank you, Rob Hicks, who also was the illustrator on that one. So that one is a, like you said in the intro, it's a sci-fi fantasy story about our main character, Zura, who's kind of the grandmaster slash leader of an assassin's guild called Feathers of Onyx that were thought to have been extinct. And in the time where we're starting in this issue one, there's a tyrannical emperor named Asher Finn who has just been, for lack of a better term, a total bastard. <laughs> and now the people are sick of him, things are not going very well, and so Zura's gonna try and get into the palace and take this dude out. Now the, the question for anyone who hasn't read it is what kind of stuff is she gonna what's she gonna go through when she gets to the palace what kind of obstacles and people and whatnot is she gonna have to go through to get to this guy is this gonna be like without like spoiling too much of the future for it is it do you see it being more like kind of a straight up run and gun just run through mowing people down or do you think it's gonna be more of like an assassin's creed sneaky kind of style of like working your way through definitely a this first one was definitely an Assassin's Creed sneaky kind of thing. There's de It doesn't lack for action by any means, but okay. uh, I think Assassin's Creed's a pretty good comparison, especially because, again, Assassin's. So you, you got to be sneaky, moving around on rooftops and, you know, coming down from high places, that yeah. kind of thing. And... So now it doesn't lack for action, that's for sure. But it's not uh, it's not quite on the level of something like Doom or Quake, where uh, run and gun, nonstop violence. But there is plenty of action and blood and gore. We did not skimp on that by any <laughs> means. And I guess that's the one that's the one uh, suggestion or disclaimer I'll have to make. It is probably better for mature audiences for language and gore and violence and such. So it's going to be good. Awesome. <laughs> I th I was pretty excited with how it turned out and it did pretty well in its Kickstarter campaign and it's uh it's in a few different comic book stores throughout Arizona and oh, Really? You got distribution? We do it ourselves. Okay. Mo mostly just the important thing kind of like, you know, with establishing a local fan base kind of like any medium you got to start strong in your home base and then branch out to other spots. So got them in stores here. We got them in stores in Phoenix. There's some at a place in Pine Top. There's some on the way to Sierra Vista. Dude, that's awesome. What's the revenue return on that? Like, do you get any sort of revenue return on those? Or is it just kind of like it's there for and the most you get out of it is like promotion, if that makes sense. 
No, I get you. Uh, so generally the way I work with it is I sell the books to the shops at cover price, essentially. And then they turn around and sell it for retail. Oh, okay. So you, you like you sell them in bulk to these shops and then they just kind of do their own thing with it? More or less. It can be bulk depending on how many they want. Okay. So what? So cover price, just to throw some figures out there or some kind of an example... Say it costs like a dollar fifty to print each one. Cover price would be something like three to four dollars, and then retail price would be closer to five or six. Mm-hmm. So I still make my profit. The store makes its profit, but that's generally what I like to do: is I sell them to the stores at cover price, and then what they do with them after that, it's completely their prerogative. Oh, that's cool. That is completely different than how music works. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, mu- music's a whole different animal nowadays. Oh yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit too. Okay, uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, a little bit more about Flesh Nest, and did you go through the same the same process with distribution and stuff with that as well that you did with Feathers? You just kind of sell it at whole and then let them do their thing with it at these shops. Basically, the major difference between Feathers and Flesh Nest is that. For the initial campaign with Flesh Nest, that was done through Spiral Ink Comics. Mm-hmm. So, bigger publisher, more reach. Uh, that's Rob Hicks's label, and he was the one that did the pencils and inks on Feathers and helped me clean up the scripts and that kind of stuff. So, thank you, Rob. I know you're going to listen to this at some point. <laughs> but Flesh Nest was the first release that... Demi Urgent Creative did completely independent and doing it through Kickstarter that's a bit of a risk because you know everybody's got some kind of thing on Kickstarter that they're thinking about doing and that kind of stuff and more so if it's your first one and I completely understand this a lot of people are reluctant to back first-time campaigners because there's not that guarantee of are they going to come through? Are these people going to get the stuff that they're pledging for? Yeah. But but we wanted to deliver because we love this book. I, I love getting comics out to people. And, you know, I've backed several Kickstarters for different things myself. So I want to give to everybody that pledges what I would hope I would get. Mm-hmm. But that was a that was a really big learning curve going through setting up the campaign, doing the fulfillment process, that kind of stuff. And just Flesh Nest as a whole was a very different book from what people mostly who read Feathers because that was the first publishing with my name on it. Okay. It was uh it was a totally different genre because going from Feathers, sci-fi fantasy all the way to horror inspired a lot by the thing and Junji Ito and that kind of stuff and you know flesh nest on the interiors of the pages it's a really heavy black and white mm-hmm. book whereas feathers of onyx was done in color okay so it was kind of a kind of a hard shift of genres and look and style and subject matter i would imagine you know that would kind of throw that would kind of throw the fan base as a whole for a curve if they expect not really, I guess, come to expect with only just being the one issue, but they, they know one particular thing. And then when you diversify, it's always kind of a risk, you know, oh, especially yeah. especially early on in your career. You know, most people, I mean, I don't know how it would be 
with um, you know with comic books and everything. But usually when you're in music, you know you you find what works and then you roll with it until you're comfortable and established in your career, and then you make that record where you get to experiment and stuff. So mm-hmm. going doing something different so early on, I feel like I, I feel like to me it would seem like it would be kind of uh, kind of more of a risk, but but I think that it's still. I think it's a good thing to do, you know, regardless of when you do it, because you want to show, you know, to what extent your reach is. You want to show your audience these things that you can do, the things that you can create, the things that you're into and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and going into Flesh Nest right away, uh, Kate and myself, Kate, my partner at Demiurgent Creative, uh, we knew that Flesh Nest was going to be a bit of a risk just because it's for a very specific audience. And again, it was a big step away from what Feathers was, mm-hmm. but it was also the first one under our own publishing. Okay. So there was plenty. Of, there was plenty of risk with it, but we both love horror. We want to see more horror books on the market, not just from ourselves, but everywhere. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, horror fans are ravenous. <laughs> Whenever when we see the stuff, we want it. Yeah. And so I I. On the flip side, like, I want to give people in that audience stuff that they want because I want it too. Yeah. So what is what is your role in the creative process of these comic books aside from having your name on everything? Like, are you the big overseer? Do you do you write the scripts? Do you do storyboards? Like, what, what, is, what is it that you do behind the scenes to bring these comics to life? Mm-hmm. So I'm generally the main writer as of right now. Feathers of Onyx, I wrote the script for. Rob and Kate helped me clean it up and gave some advice and, you know, a few privileged people gave some suggestions here and there. Um, Flesh Nest was a co-op effort by Kate and myself. The original seed of the idea was mine. And then when I presented it to Kate, she elaborated on it further and we kind of just rolled from there. And again, asked a couple of people that we trusted, you know, people that were fans or creators themselves to uh, how that goes. But as far as my role in the whole process, I write scripts, I edit them. I'm in contact with artists and uh, print shops and anybody that needs to be a part of the process to make it happen. Okay. And with, with, writing, uh, with writing a script, for this comic book is it the same kind of thing as like the way that people write scripts for movies you know it's like exterior something happens and then something else happens and it has like the character and what dialogue they say like is it the same kind of process as a movie script it's very similar and truth be told there's not one given process for or format for writing scripts for comic books really the way i do it is i go from i go by each page i mean the traditional thing is you have like page one, panel one, a description of what's happening, dialogue and who's speaking it, caption boxes if there are any, sound effects if there are any. I do it from chronological beginning to end, page one to 20 or 24 or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But I know people who plan, who write them kind of like movie scripts or just break them up into okay, for like from page one to five, we're in scene A, and then six to 10, we're in scene B, and then whatever to whatever, we're back to A, and then we're going back to B, and then it ends on C. Okay. So so there's lots of different ways you can do it. It's just a matter of finding what works for you personally. Mm-hmm. 
but I've heard, I've seen scripts from several different people, some similar to mine's, my style, some very different. And I, I've had to refine my process too, because the, the first script for Feathers and the amount of time that was wasted on things that really didn't need to be focused on mm-hmm. is monumental and kind of hilarious in retrospect. <laughs> and I still have the first script on my computer, but that'll never come out because it was absolutely horrid. <laughs> it, uh, it, it needed some work. Yeah. But it turned out good for the better, I think. Okay. So over over the time of getting into all this, I assume you've you have did you did you like research you know beforehand before you started putting pen to paper yourself um how to do it and you look up like maybe how the scripts or whatever were written for comic books that you really enjoy or as far as refining how you did it was it just kind of a learn as you go process it was a bit of both because i've been into comic books all my life for as long as i can remember Mm -hmm. and when i was a kid my parents got me this um, art set and pack and a book called How to Make Comic Books by Joe Kubert, who's what was one of the biggest and most respected names in the industry. Mm-hmm. So he, so in the book, he kind of lays out the industry process of how to make books from scripting to storyboards to interior pages to credits pages advertisements if you're going to have them so that was kind of my gospel as a kid (laughs) and you know um so i i read that a lot when i was in school or when i was at home and then just you know reading a million different books overall and a bunch of spider-man titles and x-men titles and fantastic four and the incredible hulk and you know later on when i got more into dc comics the batman stuff and injustice and then over it image with spawn and witchblade and the walking dead Mm -hmm. madame mirage or is that top cow well someone in the comments will correct me (laughs) uh or moving to idw with the different godzilla titles they've had Mm mm-hmm so they're basically just studying those and seeing how, okay, how what's the structure here? How are they writing dialogue? How does it differentiate for all the characters? You know, are we putting thought bubbles for inner monologues or are we doing it with caption boxes? Then some of it was learned, a lot of it actually was learning as I went because I'd been writing since high school, but I wrote more in a novel style. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't translate over to comic books very well <laughs> because when you're doing novels, I mean, there's no visual aspect of it. You're just reading all the words and the descriptions and everything. So yeah. writing for comics is much quicker paced. You really have to stick to the meat and potatoes and trim the fat and keep it very concise and to the point because you only have you know industry standard size like 20 to 24 pages Mm -hmm. to tell the story that you want to tell okay or at least from beginning to the end and if it's going to continue you need to set up the next issue at the end Mm -hmm. so therefore so you don't have a lot of space and time to to mess around with details that aren't necessary. If yeah. it's not moving the story forward, then, and if it doesn't develop characters or plot, then it can go.
All right, so we're gonna get into some questions here uh, now for you, Cole. So the first thing, one of the first questions I always like to start with um, with my interviews and everything with people is what inspired you to get into to creating you know your uh, to creating your comic books. What was your what was your muse for for going down this particular creative path? Sweet. So, like I said, I've been into comic books pretty much since day one for as long as I could remember, and for the longest time I always wanted to do them. And then I ended up doing music for a while, so I kind of took a sidetrack. But then after reading more comics as an adult, I wanted to get back into it and do that whole thing again. And I had ideas for characters. Specifically, Zura was the longest running one from Feathers of Onyx. And I had originally thought of her as like a band mascot or the motif or something, which is really odd to say in in <laughs> hindsight i have no idea how that would have worked but it was an idea and then the more i rolled with the story the more i wanted to make a comic book out of it and then in 2020 when the world shut down i basically said to myself well i've got nothing but time on my hands so there's no excuse not to do it yeah that would definitely be the right time um, when when the when the lockdown happened, how did that affect you? Were you working a job that was uh, closed, or were you like working straight through the pandemic? Because I I work in healthcare, mm-hmm. so when the pandemic hit and everything, there was no lockdown. You know, I was working at a hospital at the time, so I've been working straight through the pandemic. So I didn't, you know, I, I don't know how the lockdown affected you know different people because it didn't directly affect me. Pretty much, pretty much the same here. I worked straight through it, had to take some precautions, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But yeah, I my lifestyle for the most part didn't change all that much. But there was no, there were no concerts happening. There were no Comic Cons happening. There were no local shows happening, which was usually the stuff that would take up my free time. Yeah. And, you know, oh, the gy- the gyms were closed, too. Oh, God, I hated that so much, man. Me, too. That that was bad. But, but yeah, so with all of that no longer an option, I pretty m- I told myself, well, there's there's no excuses, so let's get to it. That's and fair, And I yeah. just made it happen. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Um, how do you decide where to start with it? So, like, you, you have this idea. Do you flesh it out in your head? Do you write it all out? And then... Once you have the direction you want to go with this idea, where, how do you decide what the next step is? Is it, you know, do you, do you rough sketch stuff or do you just begin dive writing? Do you dive right into a script? I hate words. (laughs) I I have to live with words. (laughs) Everyone, every process for a book is a little bit different. Like, you know, Feathers, for example, the concept came from a character that I had thought of. Flesh Nest was basically just me and Kate saying, we want to do something horror and scary. So what would be horrific and scary? And we kind of worked on it from there. Mm-hmm. And then some of the upcoming projects that we have right now was just, well, hey, we want to pay tribute to this, or we want to do something around this, or, Maybe it's, oh, I think this would be a really cool character or a cool idea for a story. But, you know, I'll make notes and jot down some basic bullet points to get everything started because everybody's writing process is different. But what I like to do now is, okay, main characters, 
do a page about them, describe them, that kind of stuff. And then, okay, what would be the main story points? And so I'll just say like, page one, we could start here. Page two, we could start here. Like, what are the main things we need to focus on? And then when I have a really rough bullet, bullet pointed story beats page, then I'll start developing it into a script very roughly. Mm -hmm. And then once the, either myself or Kate or Rob gets in on editing sometimes, a couple of trusted friends will look at it and say, yeah, this seems like a pretty solid story structure. So now it's time to flesh out the description of the panels so that the artist knows exactly what to draw and make sure the dialogue works for all the characters. And mostly so I can go through and fix my bad habits of <laughs> repeating words or unintentional rhyming or alliteration. Yeah. Or so sometimes characters all talk the same or have the same kind of speech patterns because it's coming from one person's head. Mm -hmm. So. Do you find it easy or difficult when you're writing dialogue for characters to write uh, in different kinds of like... Uh, to give characters different kinds of accents. Because you have characters who would just speak proper English, it's all normal. And then if you gave someone like some kind of a foreign accent, there's like commas and letters missing from the words and stuff. Like, is that an easy thing for you to wrap your head around? Or is that one of the more uh, difficult parts about coming up with a dialogue for these characters? Well, dialogue is the hardest part to begin with. So it's just something you got, like anything, it takes practice. But yeah, I would say that can be fairly challenging especially you know like this person's not gonna talk the same as this person or you know if oh you got a straight up american dude over here or like someone that's coming from south america over here they wouldn't talk the same mm -hmm. and so that i i generally do research especially if it's a language i'm not super familiar with i have a pretty basic decent grasp on most of the latin based ones so i can get by and if i can't then i will ask someone who knows better than me mm -hmm. so because i if i'm gonna throw that stuff in there i want it to be authentic i want it to be correct yeah and i you know i'm when you don't know you find out yeah okay um how how do you go about um like networking like how did you how did you put together you know this team of people that uh, that you have to to actually get you know your comic books to get your comic book off the ground. Long term networking. Even before I was doing comic books myself, I was going to comic cons and meeting people and talking to people and getting art commissions or buying books from them. And I would just take note of people that I got along with and vibed with similarly in a creative sense or had similar taste and ideas and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. it just knowing the right people and talking putting yourself out there that kind of thing okay um did you try anything else before you landed on doing uh you know these comic books like if you've always wanted to do you know some level of of writing or exploring this particular media for uh you know creatively 
was it just you always had it in your head you're gonna make comic books or did you want to do something else like be a traditional author or you know a tv show or you know something like that did you did you want anything else or was it just straight up comics the whole time well when i was a kid my aspiration was to be a comic book artist i never I was not thinking about stories back then because mm -hmm. when you're a kid, ooh, the pretty pictures, they look cool. Yeah. So, so that, that, that was my aspirations back then. I wasn't thinking about stories, but then from 11 years old onward, I got really sidetracked into music and playing guitar and that kind of stuff. So I kind of stepped away from story writing and comic book stuff in general. I still read them periodically, but I was really neck deep in trying to make music and to be a musician. Mm -hmm. I made a fair amount of mistakes <laughs> at the time, especially from a, from a changing industry standard, from a burnout standard, from not taking a break from being overly critical, which we all are of ourselves, but, oh, yeah. to, but to a point of, you know, being detrimental to progress. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had a bit of a sidetrack venturing into music, which I don't regret by any means, but, and I love music. I love musical people. I still play guitar and write songs for other folks from time to time. I worked part-time in a recording studio for a little bit, but my heart was always with comic books and I just went back to that when the time felt right. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good thing to, to explore the different avenues you know, of everything. Because if you, you're, you're set on one thing and then you try something different, you know, it helps, you know, either reaffirm your initial love for whatever it is that you were first focused on, or it helps diversify and can make, you know, bringing uh, knowledge or information back from this other thing, you know, could really help with, um, with the core thing. Like with, um, with me being a metal vocalist, you know, all this time and then deciding to try my hand at writing hip hop music, which is a whole different monster, learning how to write, you know, in a different way, thinking about rhyming and stuff in a much different way than I had when I was, uh, when I would write lyrics for, for Fireglass or for my band Beneath the Fallen Suns now to learning how to, how to match my voice and not just singing, but learning how to rap properly with, you know, whatever beat that I'm using, bringing that information and those skills back to writing lyrics for like Beneath or something, you know, which I feel like kind of gives me a bit of an edge on, uh, on just, on just writing and helps make me a better writer and a better lyricist uh, in general. So did you find that, uh, you know, anything that you learned when you delve this, this side path into music, you know, um, from the recording aspect, from engineering, or just playing and writing songs, was there anything that you learned from that period of time that you felt really helped you when you went back and actually, you know, put pen to paper to create your comics? Absolutely, because even though the two are very different creative art forms, especially if you're trying to work independently and do stuff on your own. The basic creative process is a lot more similar than people might think. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're to go to the music side for a second, if you're starting with a guitar riff or a bass line or something, then you got to come up with a song structure and figure out, you know, how many verses are you going to have? How many choruses? Is there going to be a guitar solo? Are we going to be in the three and a half to four minute range or are we going to go for seven are we going to go longer than that yeah what tuning is it going to be in all that stuff so there's a there's a planning process and 
for networking and getting yourself out there, it's different platforms. You know, indie bands nowadays go into Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, that kind of stuff. It's kind of the same as far as, you know, getting your comic books on any kind of websites or going to local shops, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, networking within each community, whether it's going to NAM or going to local shows in town, uh, going on tour as an independent band and making connections in other cities. It's the same on the comic book side, except you're going to conventions, you're going to local shops in other states. Mm -hmm. So it's a different medium, but the process and the steps for it as a whole are the resemblance between them is so uncanny that it's kind of weird. So I think learning from mistakes that I made in music really helped me avoid a lot of pitfalls in making comic books and how I saw the creative process for the both of them was very similar. I think that made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I can see how that would help. Yeah. Have you have you gone outside of 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 Tucson or just out of Arizona to like try to expand your the reach of your comic book to you know any of the surrounding states to try to get your books in, in other stores or are you just primarily focusing on Arizona at the moment? Doing a little bit of both, but for the moment focusing primarily on Arizona to get the good solid local fan base. Mm -hmm. I I did a convention in. New Mexico not that long ago with Rob so we've expanded out that way I tried hitting up a couple of small shops in California recently they weren't interested which it happens from time to time so yeah it's like shopping for labels and stuff yeah it's exactly not not everybody's gonna like everything so it, it was what it was but yeah. you know I want to get out to some more events in different places and go to other shops. So it's just a process, like everything. Yeah. So with doing um, with doing stuff at like Comic Cons and whatnot, is there? Do you just go there and like hand out cards, or do you have like a booth or something set up? Like I, I when I had my friend Steve on one of the earlier episodes, he was telling me about his experience at Tucson Comic Con and as an mm -hmm. artist you know, who was just doing commissions and the charcoal drawings and whatnot. He had a small booth set up where he would sell his custom portraits and stuff and things that he would make. Like he made like Joker and the last of us portraits and stuff. And he just kind of sat there and sold uh, his artwork. And that was kind of how he networked whenever he was, uh, you know, whenever he wasn't able to get away and go talk. So when, when you come to, when you come to conventions or if you ever do like, like Comic-Con here in town, which I still want to go to, I've never been to a Comic-Con ever. Um, do you come as a, as a fan to network or do you come as a creator or do you do both? I do a bit of both. I've had tables at a couple shows now, so that's a good way to do it. But mm -hmm. a lot of the networking for me was just walking around, talking to people. I've handed out cards, uh, sold a decent amount at a couple of shows. Mm -hmm. But conventions can be a little bit unpredictable because... Just a great example. We made out decently well at Santa Fe Comic-Con, mm -hmm. but then the following weekend we did a, a really small in-shop show of sorts at Dreadnought Comics in Glendale and made twice as much money in one afternoon as we did the entire weekend in Santa Fe. So Really? Yeah. With, with a small show like that, so is it just... 
Are you just there as like among a group of people there to promote it? Or was it there specifically promoting your thing? Or did you just happen to be there and it just happened to draw a good crowd? Like how, how does that work? So that one in specific was, uh, the, I think the theme was com- was blank comic book sketch covers, which are a pretty popular thing right now. A lot of publishers, they'll sell comics with a blank cover that just has the title on it, and either you can draw whatever you want or have someone do it. So Dreadnought was running a sale on those. They had a bunch in stock, and they had three really well-known artists from the Phoenix area up in the shop. Rob happened to be one of them, so I dropped in to show some support and, you know, I wrote feathers, so I was there to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I guess the I guess the Phoenix nerds were just really looking to spend some money and go have some fun that weekend, so <laughs> That's awesome. I would have never guessed that like a small thing like that would be, I guess, as profitable or even more so than doing a big convention. But I guess it makes sense. If you do a big convention, you have to compete with all these other people for you know people's time and their money and whatnot. But if you do a small shop, uh, you know, thing like that, where it's just like you know you and one or two other people or whatnot, it's much easier to to draw people into you. Yeah, and that's. I like going to big shows as a fan, personally, but I don't think I would ever table at them Mm -hmm. for that reason, because it's like you said, and not in a negative way, but it is a lot of, you're a fish in a big pond, Yeah, really. There's a lot of other people that are trying to do the same sort of things as you and the guests around, you know, hopefully they have a finite amount of money to spend. (laughs) I imagine they would. Or if you have an unlimited amount of money to spend, hey, go to all the tables. Yeah, right. But uh, I kind of enjoy the small shows myself, both as a creator and uh, and a fan, because not only do you get more time to talk to people and make connections and or just make some new friends, have fun, talk shop with everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, a lot of times those are those are really profitable days and they end up being a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, we'll take a break from, well, not really take a break, but we'll alternate from questions that I have already pre-written because most of the questions that I'm asking are just off the cuff here. Um, and we'll talk about just how the comic book scene is in general these days. Like you've been a part of it as long as you can remember. I am not a part of the comic book scene. I have no idea what it looks like. So um, in your opinion, how popular are comic books these days? How How is... What is the space like for indie comic book artists or indie comic book entities, you know, like yourself? How, how is it now compared to how it was, I don't know, 10 years ago? When do you think the last big, like, comic book boom was? Uh, words. <laughs> <laughs> so, the thing about the comic book industry as a whole is the, in, the independent guys have always made up the most of it. It's mm-hmm. just hard to see that because Marvel and DC, the big two, as we call them, have kind of bogarted the spotlight for so long because they have all the well-known stuff. Spider-Man, X-Men, Batman, Justice League, Fantastic Four, Avengers, you know, you name it. It falls under one of those two umbrellas usually. Yeah. But, yeah, the bulk of the industry has always been made up by the end of the independent folks Mm -hmm. as far as the scene itself here in arizona i think it's pretty good i was genuinely surprised at how many comic book folks are around and how much cool stuff has come out of here 
So it's really exciting to be a part of that and to get to see it all happen. As far as the grand scheme of things, when I was a kid, it wasn't cool to like comic books. You you were the ner or video games or any of that kind of stuff. You were the geeky kid. Yeah. So I, I I got my share of crap for that as a as a kid in school. But then when the Marvel movies really started taking off, like your Iron Mans and your Thors and Avengers and that kind of thing, and it really brought the characters to the masses. I think it started to be viewed as, I mean, they really became part of pop culture at that point. And then when Comic-Con started showing up outside of San Diego, because for the longest time, that was kind of the only one, or at least the only major one. And then other states started holding their own shows mm -hmm. and it was more accessible to everybody. So now you have this whole realm of pop culture from comic books to video games to anime to sci-fi to you name it that's pretty much available for anybody that wants to look into it or get their hands in on it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that in any way impart the rise of, uh, of cosplay? You know, do you think that that has had an impact on it even though, you know, cosplay is kind of like, it can be like risque i guess you know people kind of do it in weird ways but do, do you think that the rise of uh of cosplay as a whole becoming more of an accepted thing has helped push people in that direction to really checking out you know anime video games and comic books that otherwise probably wouldn't or do you think it's mostly more to the popularizing the mainstream acceptance of you know comic book characters after marvel uh, you know, took over. I think you could make a strong argument for either one. I've learned about franchises from seeing cosplayers at conventions and, oh, that's a cool costume. What's that character? What are they from? Mm -hmm. But I think as all of this stuff has become more accepted by the masses, more people have gotten into cosplay. But there was lots of people that were doing it even before then. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think you could make a good case for both of those being true. They both had a pretty significant impact on the thing as a whole. Yeah, yeah I could see that. I, I definitely, I think, noticed more after, I don't know, after like a certain point, sometime after, I think, Iron Man. Because, you know, Marvel tried initially with the Hulk movies and... That first one was not that great, but the one with Ed Norton. <laughs> I, I personally, I loved the Hulk movie with Ed Norton. I thought it was fun. I was kind of bummed that he wasn't, you know, Banner in the MCU, but I get it. I think Mark Ruffalo, Ma, Ruffalo does a really good job, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I just, I liked the way that they portrayed Hulk at that time. The first one was just weird. It didn't keep to a lot of the things that made Hulk the Hulk. It was, I don't know, it was just really weird to me. Yeah. But, and then when Iron Man, I think Iron Man was the first major one, right? That was the first one that really took off. I'd, and then it opened it up from there, even though there was earlier stuff like the Hulk movies. And then there was Blade from the 90s, you know, that mm -hmm. really kind of laid a foundation for it. And then um, I think Deadpool, uh, when the first Deadpool movie came out, that had a huge impact on the cinematic landscape of, oh, yeah. of movies as a whole. Oh, yeah. As far as like what you can do and pushing the boundaries and everything, especially with Marvel being owned by Disney, you know, letting them do what they did with Deadpool you know, I feel like it opened up a whole new world for everything, you know, that people can do. And there's definitely been like a tonal shift in the movies and stuff as you watch them. You know, they get a lot more intense. They get a lot darker. The TV shows, you know, they're coming out with now are a lot crazier. Did you see, did you see the new Doctor Strange? 
I have not. Okay. I won't spoil anything because I have, and it is amazing, but it gets really brutal at a certain part. And just the things that they do in there now, I don't think would even have been accepted even a few years ago, if not for movies like Blade or like Deadpool, who were really violent, who were really aggressive and with it. And like, it, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge change uh, in the landscape since, you know, they, there was this big push for superhero movies because of Marvel and just everything that's coming out because of it with TV shows and everything. And, you know, the companies that own everything as a whole, what they are and aren't like letting you do and stuff and now marvel's fleshing out all these different other you know aspects they had moon knight that was a pretty dark and aggressive show really good one i you know there was miss marvel and then they're coming out with like she hulk which is going to be pretty good uh there's just it's definitely a huge like changing landscape as a whole and i feel like in part that's just i think it's a huge part is because it became accepted you know, to like these things. Because I remember, I don't think, we're, we're about the same age, aren't we? Just about, yeah. Yeah, I'm 32. So. I'm two years behind you. Okay, so yeah, we're, we can, we grew up in the same general generation, so I know what it's like to be looked at as the nerdy kid and get picked on in school for the things that you like. You know, I got picked mm-hmm. on for being into video games. I used to like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Hell yeah. Well, still do, but <laughs> I got picked on in middle school for liking stuff like that too. Yeah, so, I, I remember those. You know, and then just seeing everything now, the way that everything is changing is so weird that like all this nerdy stuff that you used to be made fun of for is now pretty much what's cool. Mm-hmm. you know and it's 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 so it's such a weird thing to see it is and i'll admit early on i was like oh well how come it's cool now and then i got made fun of for it but <laughs> but realistically here's the here's the coolest part about that is because it's so popular and accessible now you can get all the merch that you would have wanted as a kid that probably wasn't available back then because now for example, I can go into Hot Topic and pick up a Dragon Ball Z shirt anytime I want. Whereas when I was a kid, that wasn't happening. Yeah, that's fair. I think places like Hot Topic and I think that box lunch store, if they still have them, they had scouters. Yeah, I've Dragon seen Ball those. Z, and I still really want to get one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be super cool. Yeah, exactly. So now, so even we can have all the cool stuff now that we didn't have access to as a kid because of that. So yeah, that's fair. That that definitely does. It it, it allows us who are into these things, who have always been into these things, to be. I don't want to say more socially accepted because that shouldn't really matter, but I guess it's more socially accepted. So we're less likely to get like made fun of or get jumped. Like if we walked out of our houses with yeah, exactly. you know, anything like that going on. Well, and the thing on top of that too, is everybody that sees the movies and that kind of thing, maybe they'll be inspired to go check out the comic books afterwards. And if they do, maybe they like them, maybe they don't. Yeah. Whatever your opinion on the movies is, it's true that, you know, those movies were probably some kid's gateway nowadays into getting into comic books. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or or if they don't like the comics and they just continue to go see the movies. Yeah. So. But it's still someone's introduction to this world, you know, in general, that they might explore... You know more. You have no lines in this play, cat. <laughs> um, so, what do you? What is? Um, let, let's talk a moment about just the way the way that we grew up in this in between, you know, generational thing where you know when we were younger it was all print, and then now that we're adults, 
there's there's all kinds of digital media for you know for for getting you know comic books and music and stuff out there you know there's there's i have an app on my phone called webtoons where you like you can read independent comic books on there and there's a few Mm -hmm. that i like to read um i have a friend from work who loves one piece and he reads the new chapters like every single week on on a website i don't know what website it is but you know like um what are your thoughts on that on just seeing the generational shift from like pre-tech to post-tech do you think one is better than the other or do you see the benefits and merits to both and if you see if you notice any like flaws or downsides to the way that things are done now or do you think there's a healthy balance still between pen and paper and tech so like you said as a kid when we were kids you know music was consumed through the radio and through cds and cassettes and that kind of stuff and comic books were all in print you had to go to the shops to get them or buy them at magazine kiosks depending on where you live yeah and then in the 2000 the earlier 2000s when the internet started blowing up and more and more people were you know it was migrating over to you know youtube and itunes and all that kind of stuff you know everything was starting to become more digital i think it took comic books a little bit longer to get to that point but you know it was gonna happen at some point or another and as far as what i think of it i think it's pretty cool to see some of these things go digital but it can be a little daunting whether you're looking at digital or print to see how much there is and where to even start. Yeah. Oh yeah, don't definitely. But I will always prefer having the physical book in my hands because that's how I grew up reading them. That's how I mm-hmm. love it. But I could completely understand why somebody might prefer having a digital collection instead if they just want to read the book and they're not into it for collector's purposes or You know, they're just not a fan of physical media because, you know, nowadays a lot of people didn't grow up with physical media. It was all internet, streaming, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, again, having a collection takes up space. Yeah. So. Oh, believe me. I know, man. I I have a ridiculous collection of, of CDs and I still personally prefer CDs. I have quite a digital, not really a digital library because I use Spotify, but... Um, I do have a fair amount of digital, al- you know, digital only albums and stuff. But like, you know, you prefer the, um, you prefer printed comics. I prefer actually having physical copies of CDs. And same having that collection, it definitely does take up space. Like, I think I got two or three boxes of CDs uh, in storage because I don't have anywhere to put them right now. Yeah, same. Yeah, I grew up coming up into the world. You know, in the '90s, it was like just the very end of um of the era of cassettes and the very beginning of cds like the last cassette i remember owning was no doubt's first record with like spider webs and stuff on it i used to listen to that thing constantly and then going into cds and whatnot where i fell into um the age of boy bands and stuff and we all did i was a big i still am i i saw the backstreet boys in concert like a few months ago dude Hell it was yeah. awesome, Woo! but I was a big fan of the Backstreet Boys, so I had all of their CDs, and then moving into hard rock and metal and whatnot, like, I needed to just, I don't know, I just, I loved collecting CDs, and that's something that I still carry with me, and I still look at CD stores and stuff, you know, when I was on tour, um, one of the spots in Texas, um, the venue was connected to a record store, 
So I spent so much time in that record store just looking through and there was all these like indie bands, these like deathcore bands that I've never seen, you know, bands with like logos you can't read. The Rosebush font. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's so cool looking at record stores and going to places like Zia and just seeing everything. And, you know, I, I love having that physical media, almost like, you know, there's a nostalgia factor to it or something, you know? Oh, there's totally nostalgia in it. You know, again, like I said, that's how I grew up reading it. So that will always be my preference. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely feel like I'm uh, I'm the same way now, too. So, and what do you, what do you think about nowadays with how there isn't as much of a push and I feel like you have a pretty good insight on this having starting your own publishing company how you don't need you know like a major you don't you don't need the backing the financial support of major labels or major publishers anymore when you are out creating when you're putting music out there or when you're you know you're putting your comic books out there like there's it seems to be so much easier to take the DIY route these days than what it used to be like what are your weigh in on that yeah so there's a that's a spot where music and comic books cross over pretty hard as far as you you don't need a major label to have a successful band or a record and you don't need a major publishing company to have a successful novel comic book anything like that Mm -hmm. now that said there's a lot more work that goes into it because you got to build the fan base you have to be the PR person. You got to talk to people. So you got to do all the grunt work that the big big names would normally do. Yeah. But you also get to keep all the fans and the money at the end of the day. That is true. Yeah. So that that's a big thing. But also, with the advent of a lot of things going digital, that has that's kind of taken away a revenue source from the big players. You know. I know there's people that do, I'm one of them, but in a very general sense, people don't really buy CDs anymore and people don't buy physical copies of books as often as if if they can get them digital. Yeah. And so with that in mind, you know, the big names are, they're taking their cut from somewhere else. Yeah. Do do you think that with this, this rise of a digital world, you know, in general, with the way that we consume content these days, do you think that with, uh, you know, with as many people that are finding success, being independent, not having that financial or whatever support from labels and publishers and stuff, uh, do you think that that is making, you know, these big wigs who used to have a monopoly on the industry uh, is, is making them take another look at how they do business? Do you think that it's helping them offer, you know, better or fair deals, you know, and everything with it? Because I know in just doing um, music as a whole, what I was working on at the time, and, you know, we were had, in my, my band Fireglass, we had labels that were looking at us and stuff, and not every label, you know, was giving us, like, the fairest deal. You know, we, at the end of the day, we preferred to just stay independent. So... Do you think that with everyone being independent these days, it's making these bigger companies reevaluate how they do things? I would like to say yes, but from what I've seen, I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. It, I think a lot of the bigger ones are very rooted in the old ways, at least when it comes to comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, from music, as far as I've seen, I think uh, they're just trying to take their cut from other places as far as the artist income goes. 
You yeah. Know, too, too many contracts have 360 deals and that oh, kind yeah. of thing. And as far as comic books go, they're, uh, the big names have been kind of capital trying to capitalize in on the nostalgia factor and they're kind of just rehashing stuff that we've already seen done before and oh, i feel like that's a big thing with general media with all the reboots oh yeah know, reboots and sequels and or retelling of a story that's already been done before re-releases or remasters yeah. of old albums yeah. you know which isn't necessarily a bad thing there are certain albums that do really well when they are remastered oh yeah but for sure we're we're definitely in i guess i would call it like an age of the do-over yeah, Age of the Duo, but also the um, the 80s were super popular for a while not that long ago, and now they're starting to come after the 90s kids, like us, really hard. So we're getting to that point. Yeah. But with, with characters in comic books, because something that a lot of people seem to forget is that a lot of these characters have been around for half a century, if not more. Mm-hmm. Actually... Today happens to be Spider-Man Day because August 1st, 1962 was when Spider-Man first debuted. Was that was the first official release? Yeah, of like... Amazing Fantasy number 15 is when Spider-Man first debuted in publishing in 1962. Superman and Batman came out almost 30 years before that. Oh, wow. So a lot of these characters... Um, DC was doing stuff in the 30s and 40s that was getting really big. Mm-hmm. Marvel came up in the 60s with Spider-Man and X-Men and Thor and Fantastic Four and all, the Incredible Hulk. You know, all these characters have been around for 50 years, if not more. So they have all of these publications and all of these stories that so many different people worked on. And eventually it kind of gets to a point of... You know, what more can you do with these characters that hasn't already been done? So, don't get me wrong, I love all these characters and I love reading the stories, but at some point, you know, it's it's time to let it go, yeah. maybe. And because, because there has been a lot of rehashing or retelling of stories, reprints, that kind of stuff... You know, I think a lot of comic book fans have kind of gotten tired of it. And they're looking to independent people for fresh ideas or new twists on things that maybe they haven't seen for a while. New characters, new stories, mm-hmm. representation, um, just all kinds of different things that that the big names are just not giving anymore. And yeah. actually, as a matter of fact, as far as my knowledge goes, recently DC pretty much put the lid on every title that wasn't batman at this point because they decided the rest of them were not financially viable so they're only as far as comic books go they're only focusing on batman now everybody else got shelved i feel like that's kind of a financial not good thing to do like i don't know again like i don't understand the way that it all works but i feel like if they're but i don't know i guess dc has a fair level of like success with the shows i don't i'm one of those people that believes that the marvel movies are better than the dc movies but that the dc shows are really good i still think that the marvel shows overall you know are like much better like everything that's on disney plus has been fantastic wandavision's the best thing ever but like i've seen some of the dc the dc shows and stuff and they have done so much better 
you know, than the movies have been. Yeah, the D- DC animated features are absolutely phenomenal. And oh, yeah. If someone was to ask me my top three Batman movies, they would be Sub-Zero, Mask of the Phantasm, and Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, which are all animated features. Oh, yeah, dude, Mask of the Phantasm. I remember that movie. That was one of my all-time favorite Batman movies just ever back in the day, dude. And Batman Beyond, Batman Beyond was a lot of fun. I think that's a good way to continue with the story because you have the original character you had the original bruce wayne but he was older mm-hmm. and it was kind of you know passing the torch and everything yeah that but, was a great show and a great premise and a great story and the return of the joker movie was phenomenal yeah i love the way that they that they do stuff like that but there, there was something special something like haunting about the way that they went about mask of the phantasm that was absolutely fantastic and but as watching it as a small kid of like eight or nine or something it was terrifying yeah but it was so good the phantasm's design is pretty out there but also it's uh i would call it just from a character standpoint the quintessential batman movie if you want batman at its purest batman you gotta watch that one but i think batman from just that whole time for like that whole that animated series in general was like the best like batman beyond was really good too but i really liked the way that that whole animated series was as a whole yeah well and it's all part of the same story yeah at the end of the day but uh i think a lot of people especially near our age group the whole any the ones that broke the most grounds the holy trinity of superhero cartoons was bat was the whole batman animated series x-men that came out in 1992 and then my personal favorite spider-man the animated series that came out in 1994 those are the ones that broke all the grounds and kind of paved the way for what superhero cartoons would become and they even made changes to the comic book mythos Mm -hmm. based on based on the way that the shows went yeah well a lot of uh Batman especially, like just an example, in the comic books, Mr. Freeze was kind of a really campy, goofy villain of the week. It wasn't until the Heart of Ice episode from the animated series where he had a tragic backstory and was a very serious character and was made kind of badass. That came from the animated show. And, you know, jumping over to Spider-Man, the black suit saga, the alien costume, Mm-hmm. In the comic books, he thought it was weird and creepy because it was alive and just going to attach itself to him. But it didn't change his personality. Mm-hmm. The making him darker and more violent and kind of going crazy, that came from the animated series. Oh, okay. And it eventually bled over into the comic books and oh. even the movies. Yeah. With the whole with the whole Venom thing and Tobey Maguire being all like emo and shit. Yeah, exactly. Well, that that whole changing his personality that came from the animated series. So. Oh, I did not know that. I always assumed that those were things you know that were like there, like especially with Batman. Like I remember Mister Freeze from that old cartoon, and he was very dark, and he had that like so super tragic story and everything. And then you see the movie with poison ivy and mr freeze and it's like a giant joke and you know arnold schwarzenegger speaks with so many puns that it's ridiculous like i thought that that was the different thing i didn't know that it was flipped like that's what freeze was and then he became cool after the fact so to speak yeah that's oh that's so interesting i had no idea that there were uh there were changes like that but that actually brings me to an interesting question i wanted i want to get your take on 
so going back and seeing the way the comic books were from you know as far back as you can remember i'm sure that you can see a trend and a change from things being you know kind of goofy and lighthearted and you know very um public school safety i guess for lack of a better word yeah with the way that they convey the messages and dealing with villains and stuff and then to see them over the years change to get more gritty and edgy and a lot darker you know what's 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 your take on that do you feel like that's something that was inevitably going to happen do you prefer the old school lighthearted versus the dark and gritty now or you know a balance of both or what I like a balance of both. There definitely was a period of sin and debauchery called the 1990s where <laughs> um, comic books were kind of to the point of being ridiculous. They got really edgy and they got really dark because mm-hmm. they were trying to cash in on the success of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. Yeah. So th- those were two very gritty, dark and takes on comic books. Dark and gritty takes on comic books. Excuse me. Let's have proper grammar here. (laughs) But then you got... It got kind of ridiculous. You know, everybody was all roided out, muscular, and dark and edgy. And then we got characters like Azrael and Cable and Overkill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can see a lot of that in the 90s as far really crazy muscular guys and really heavy saturated colors and everybody had to be dark and grim and there is no sunshine and no happiness anywhere (laughs) so and then um that's how we ended up with the character lobo from i'm not sure if he started in dc but he's a major part of dc who was just made as a parody of all those characters Uh uh-huh so i think it was definitely from the It started getting gritty and darker in the 80s because, you know, we had characters like Venom coming out at that point and some of the darker X-Men stories were showing up there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, later on, you know, we got some of the grittier stories and then everybody was trying to get in on it. Hell, even um, Spawn from Image Comics and Todd McFarlane kind of came out of that whole scene from the 90s but Mm -hmm. just happened to get grouped in because it very much is a 90s comic book but everybody knows spawn oh yeah so as far as my preference i like a little bit of both i think lighthearted stuff can be really fun and i like gritty stuff where it can be really fun and sometimes it's hard not to laugh at both of them like oh this is so lighthearted and funny that it's like you gotta laugh at it because it's lighthearted. but then i'm big muscular roided guy with a bat with a tragic backstory and i don't relate to anyone and i do everything (laughs) solo it's it's hard not to laugh at that too because it's just because you know what it's like looking at all of the stereotypes of something yeah just you you gotta laugh at it yeah yeah definitely do you try to bring any of uh any of that like lighthearted or funny-ness to to your comic books or are they all straight serious and blood and action and stuff or do you do you, do you try to to find that that balance of edgy and comedy or is that something that you want to do with future comic books or like how does how does that how does that come back to what you create so it really depends on the story and the kind of mood that we're trying to convey Mm -hmm. there's jokes here flesh nest has a couple of 
jokes here and there, like sarcastic remarks and that kind of stuff, because the main character is a working man and, you know, working people, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of sarcastic, especially, you know, working day jobs and mechanic engineer. That's pretty much what this guy is. Mm -hmm. So dry sense of humor, a little sarcastic and, you know, reluctant to be part of this whole thing. But the tone overall is very serious and dark, but we also, when going through scripts, we'll pull back on some of it if it's like, ooh, we're getting into 90s territory. Let's uh, okay. let's dial it back some. <laughs> or if we're going to put in jokes, because um, I'll talk about them in a bit, but we have some upcoming projects, uh, one of which is kind of a tribute to action movies, 80s and 90s specifically. Nice. And, you know, one-liners left and right and, you know, weapon porn and that kind of stuff <laughs> and so there's a time where it's appropriate for all of those sort of things and you know even feathers of onyx the main character zura you know she'll make quips and remarks from time to time but in a more serious kind of tone or if she's just working off of what somebody else said mm -hmm. so there's a time and a place for all of it, and if you're going to blend the two, you just got to know how to balance it out because, you know, if someone's in a super serious, dire situation, is it the right time to make a bunch of goofy one-liners in this scenario unless you're paying tribute to something from it? Mm -hmm. Or like, okay, so we're getting dark and gritty here, but like, ooh, are we dipping into... Are we dipping into the 90s too much here? Yeah. So I like to incorporate both because I think humor is super important. I think oh, yeah. having a, a good and engaging story is important. And if, that and if that results in the conflict being a bit dark and on the gritty side and that kind of thing, I'm totally on board with it. But it's kind of just a matter of being aware of what you're doing and like ooh, don't dip into cliches or don't dip into a trend that was going on from this time or whatever it is or don't make it too goofy or lighthearted if it doesn't call for it mm -hmm. so it really just depends on the project for me but i i like dark stories and i like humor uh, I don't mind some more lighthearted stuff here and there, just as long as it fits the context of what, of the story we're trying to tell and the characters in it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, has there been anything that you, has there been anything that you did, have you, has there been anything that you did or like in the past that you couldn't properly bring out or has there been anything that, has it been anything that you did that you tried but didn't work? Like, did you work on any other creations or any other ideas for comics prior to um, prior to to landing on on feathers and flesh nest? Yeah, I think everybody has a, a thing or two that they start and it just doesn't end up going anywhere. I've I've written a few superhero scripts that, well, I was a kid, so of course they didn't end up going anywhere. Or sometimes you get inspired by things and, you know, you write stuff like it and it ends up being too similar. Mm -hmm. Did you write, like, 
I guess, what do they call it? Like, like fan fiction kind of stories? Like, where you did you take, like, an existing superhero that you really like? Like, if you put, like, Spider-Man and you made up your own scenario for it? Or when you were writing superhero stuff, did you create your own superhero and just create this whole, you know, world or something for him? I did. Uh, the first thing I ever tried to write was uh, actually a cooperative thing with a buddy back in the day. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this one right now, but why not? Uh, it was The Adventures of Captain Velocity and Draconin, <laughs> which is about as ridiculous as it sounds. It and, sounds amazing. <laughs> and uh, I think it worked pretty good as like an Adult Swim parody show now, I think, but uh-huh. or something like that. But if you want to talk about taking every stereotype of superheroes out of the book and putting them into one thing, Hmm. that's totally what I did. And it was hilarious. That's awesome. So I think, uh, I don't think I have any of that old stuff around somewhere, but if I do, maybe one day I'll post it for like an April Fool's thing or something. Dude, that'd be great. But um, I mean, everybody starts off rip starts out ripping off the things that they love the most and then you learn to develop your own style but but for that very reason that's kind of why i like reading superhero comics but i will likely never write one myself because i don't think there's anything new or interesting that i could bring to the table that's not already been done okay yeah i get that i feel like it's such an over it's an oversaturated market right it now. is it is i think so many people are trying to cash in on the success of you know mostly marvel um but you know everything that marvel and dc is doing with the new media and whatnot i feel like everybody's trying to cash in on it because they want to create the next you know iron man and stuff it's like they're doing it for the sake of uh of of uh of money and not doing it because it's just something that they love to do yeah, well, and that happens a lot, but, you know, look at how many knockoffs have, of everything has come around when something gets popular. You know, yeah. there's been plenty of Superman knockoffs, there's been some Batman knockoffs, some of them intentional, some of them parody. Yeah. But, you know, that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's like the nature, the nature of the beast, as they say. Um... What would you say is, like, top three, I guess, just overall, favorite comic books? And then if you had to pick, like, one specific superhero, you know, who would be number one for you? Well, that that one's easy. Number one superhero is Spider-Man. I kind of figured that answer. <laughs> yeah, that, he's up there. Uh, Wolverine is a very close second. I, I love the shit out of Wolverine, but... Spider-Man speaks to me on a bit more of a personal level, and the Spider-Man was the character that got me into comic books with the 94 animated series and the Web of Spider-Man comics. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was the first, and again, that amazing animated series, like... That series from back in the day was really good, yeah. yeah. I remember watching it on the one... It was the one that was on the weekends, right? On, like, Fox Kids or something? Yep, that yeah. was the one. I remember watching that show. It was with, really the, good. with the sweet theme song that was played by Joe Perry of Aerosmith. A lot of people don't know that. I did not know that. The closest thing to, like, weird trivia, I think, that I know of that. And I don't even know if it's confirmed, but I heard that Dave Mustaine wrote the guitar riff for Power Rangers. I can neither confirm or deny that. As far as I know, it was Kevin Wasserman who wrote the theme song and played it. 
I don't know if Dave Mustaine originally wrote the riff. It's yeah. maybe possible. Oh, it's possible. But I, I have no idea. I, I, I can't give a solid answer on that one. And then top three comic books. Um, well, any, uh, any of the Spider-Man series from web of Spider-Man was really good. Um, the self-titled Spider-Man series that Todd McFarlane did in the nineties was really good. The self-titled X-Men from the nineties by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee was really good. Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men mm-hmm. were all really good series. And then nowadays, I think the stuff I'm getting into a little bit more, Nailbiter is a really good one. I'm getting a lot of indie books too. Hooded Cobra and Succubus are pretty up there. Mm-hmm. Love you, Rob. <laughs> uh, Fire Bitch from 100, 183 Degree Studios is a really good one. Kill Count by Jim Hanna is a really good one. It's kind of hard to pick just three because I'm having to think with, you know, major labels versus independent. Yeah. By different superheroes. Hell, there's even a comic book series going... I don't know if it's still going on, but there was one called Batman The Adventure Continues based off the animated series. Oh, really? So, so they're, they continued the show in comic book form. Oh, that's cool. And I didn't that, know that. that. That was a really good one. Oh, Cool. Oh, I thought of a question I wanted to ask. Go for um, it. So what do you think of, like, I've noticed personally a lot in more recent years, there's been a rise of bands turning to graphic novels mm-hmm. for, like, visual uh, inclusion with, like, the records and stuff. You know, Machine Gun Kelly did it. Ice Nine Kills did it. Hailstorm did it. Um, and then you have others who were doing it well before, like Claudio from Coheed and Cambria, who has the whole comic book series that like most of their records are based off of. That was that was going to be my prime example. You know, or Gerard Way from MCR, who started the Umbrella Academy. Yep. Like, what what do you think about you know these musicians, these you know singers and guitarists and whatnot, or these bands getting into this particular medium of it? Do you think? Um, does it help or hurt the scene as a whole? Do you feel like it provides, you know, healthy or unhealthy competition? And would you prefer, as far as that goes, the the way they do, like, graphic novels or more of just, like, you know, the comic books? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, graphic novels are basically just comic books extended. You know, if you're going past that 24-page mark and getting into the 40s or higher, yeah, that's... It's the same thing, just longer. Yeah. Okay, so that, that, I, I don't mind either one. I like graphic novels and I like comic books. A lot of times, actually, if I can, I'll get the, I'll wait for the series to finish and then get the trade paperback graphic novels, mm-hmm. so I can just read the whole series in two or three things. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So I, I don't mind those at all. And as far as the bands doing it. I didn't know that Coheed and Cambria had done it up until a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty cool. I know Joe Satriani has done one and uh, called Crystal Planet. I think a lot of guitar virtuosos are in on it right now, which is pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, watching Umbrella Academy and Gerard Way kind of stuff. I don't mind it so much. I can't say I've read any of them. I've watched the Umbrella Academy TV show a few seasons. I thought that was pretty good. But the only thing I care about, if I'm going to be totally honest, is if your heart is into it and you're really trying to put something good out, then power to you and by all means do it. But 
you know, yeah, some people do try to trend chase and cash in on stuff. And if that's the case, that's going to reflect in the product. So I think, so I think it can help and it doesn't always have the best effect because, you know, if someone's going to put out something good, then it's going to help. And if you're going to trend chase, then, you know, you're kind of affecting your other stuff too. Because people like, oh, you put out a graphic novel and it was crap. So. Yeah, I, I kind of felt that that was the, I guess, the pattern that it was going with. It did seem like a lot of bands who who were doing it, did it, it felt like it was definitely more of just like chasing a trend. Like, I don't understand. I've never read them either, but I see them a lot. Um, like, I guess with the band, like with Ice Nine Kills, it kind of makes sense because it's based off their last two records that were all movie inspired. So it's very... Uh, yeah, something like that makes sense. Or if people in the bands are comic book geeks anyway. Yeah. I don't know if the singer Fry sign is. I know he loves horror movies, but yeah. yeah if, if someone's gonna put time, effort, and passion into it, and give it and bring us something really good, then by all means, go for it. But, yeah. You know, I I can't deny there has there's definitely been that trend of more bands getting into releasing graphic novels. Maybe some of them are good. Maybe they're all good. Maybe some of them are bad. Maybe they're all bad. I don't know. You just got to actually read them, but you can't deny the trendy pattern there. So for, yeah. for me personally, that's a bit of a caution sign, but yeah, you yeah. know, to, but to be absolutely fair, I won't make a judgment call on any of them until I actually read them because that's maybe fair. they're good. They could be. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't even know how well they sell. I just, I see them promoted and I'm always curious, but I don't know. I'm not that interested enough i guess if it's like Me a graphic either. if it's like a graphic novel adaptation of a record that i've already listened to front and back i don't really see a, uh, a point to it but yeah, you kind of know the story already yeah but you know if for anyone that's curious and you want to check it out yourself by all means do it because you have no idea in, until you read it that's very so, true oh. and you know not everyone's gonna like the same things that is a so. very good point as well so uh, do you have any advice for other people who might be wanting to pursue this same kind of path as you? How you, you know, any tips or tricks for how getting started for, you know, writing your first script, you know, deciding, you know, Kickstarter, yay or nay, networking, you know, any, any nuggets of wisdom that you want to share to anybody that might be listening that's contemplating comics themselves? Sure. Something I've seen come up a lot, especially in fellows close to our age range because we came up in that weird in-between period where it was the old industry it started dying off because of digital and now we've kind of moved into the digital age not just with comic books but with music and other things in general i think a lot of people still have this odd misconception i guess not odd it made sense at the time that if you don't make it by a certain age then you're never gonna make it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like back in the 80s, you know, if you didn't get a record deal by the time you were 30, it wasn't gonna happen, that kind of thing. Yeah. A lot of people I've seen still operate on that mindset, and I'm here to tell you that's not true. I didn't even get a book published until I was almost 30. I didn't get Flesh Nest out and distributed and anything like that until I was 30. Mm -hmm. You know, Feathers came out when I was 29. Flesh Nest came out pretty close to the time when I was 30 or I already was 30. 
there's more on the way. So you're never too old to start doing the things and making it happen. So if that's in your head, kick that thought out right now. And then second biggest piece of advice I can give, I know this is gonna sound very basic and it might not be the crazy, amazing insight that some people wanna hear, but here's the truth that is necessary. We've all had to overcome it. Start something, finish it, and make the next one better. Because I have seen so many times, whether it's a script, a song, an album, anything, people will obsess over small details and try to make everything perfect and go back over it numerous times. There's nothing wrong with polishing something until it's good. But if you're aspiring for perfection, you'll never finish anything. Done is better than perfect. Because, like, here's the thing, perfect's not gonna happen. So, start something, do it to the best of your ability at the time, finish it up, make it happen, move on to the next one and try to make it better. Learn from your experiences. And to go with that, there is no one tried and true way to make stuff happen especially in a creative and writing process, you gotta figure out what works for you. So the way that I write scripts might not work for somebody else. I know lots of different methods for doing it, but I do the one that works for me. Mm -hmm. And I've given advice to people who ask me like, you know, how do I go about doing it? I give them my process and a few other ones and my process didn't work for them. So they tried something else and they actually got things done that way. Mm -hmm. So all of those and as far as going through the actual creative process, if you're working with other people, like working with writers, working with artists, be easy to work with as best as you can. Be nice because people do talk and, and even more so having a professional attitude and a good level of conduct and that kind of stuff will go very far Mm -hmm. because that makes all the difference in the world and it's going to help the process go so much smoother i think that's all that's fantastic advice i like the first thing especially i know i'm guilty of of having it in my head that like you know i'm that i'm too old to make it you know with the way that with the way that things are in the modern age with the way you know of of music and everything coming up at least specifically it gets to a point where like if you don't have something that goes viral on the internet or you don't have some kind of a record deal by the time you're like 23 or something you're just you're not gonna make it yeah exactly and that used to be the case yeah and then you know approaching Um, you know, anything, you know, creative the way that I do now, be it this or writing my music or whatnot, you know, it's really hard to not lose myself in that mindset of just, I'm past my prime or I'm past the point where people are going to care, you know, because I'm in my thirties now, because I'm, I don't know, I don't have the adrenaline or whatever to push like the same way that a 20 year old does because I'm an adult. I have a job, I have a child. You know, it's it's really hard for me to not get lost in that mindset myself that just I'm not a kid anymore. I can't do the things that these kids do. I'm not going to achieve the success that I'm chasing. And, you know, remembering that that is not the case, that it is not too late. It, it's never too late to to start chasing the dream or to recapture that fire or whatever you want to call it is it's very important. And it's something that I'm still having a hard time um, you know, encapsulating myself, but I appreciate that that's the first thing that you brought up because I feel like that is a very important thing to really get out there into the world. 
Yeah, and again, like I said, I've been hearing and seeing a lot of that lately, and I understand why, but that really sucks to hear because it's like, dude, what are you talking about? You have the, with the advent of the tech that we have now, you have the world at your disposal. You just got to put in the work. And of course, with, you know, adult responsibilities and paying bills and all that stuff, it might take more time. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. That's true. Cool. I appreciate that. And I think the listeners will will appreciate that too. So um, do you have anything, any kind of last notes that you would like to share? You know, what is... What is the future of these two comics that you have? Are you working on anything else that you can talk about right now? Uh, you know, any anything that you would like to leave the listeners with before we call it? Sure. Well, first off, thank you guys for joining us here at Writer's Block. This was a lot of fun to do, a lot yeah. of fun to talk about the stuff. If you want to follow my creative journey with Demi Urgent Creative... That was a bit redundant. <laughs> See, words are hard. <laughs> Demiurgent Creative does have an Instagram and a Facebook page. We'll have links here on the social media, but just look up Demiurgent Creative. There's a, it's an aquamarine background with our little mascot eating puzzle pieces. <laughs> you can't miss it. As far as upcoming projects and the state of the two that are out right now, I'll answer a frequently asked question. Flesh Nest was written as a one and done. So that's okay. a that's a one-off gritty horror story for the horror fans by the horror fans. That's our, hey, we love you horror people. Here's something that we think you would like. Mm-hmm. There's no plans to continue it, but the fact that people like it enough that they want more means the world to us. And there will be more horror stories, I will say that. We are absolutely not done doing horror. It's one of our most favorite things ever. So there's definitely gonna be more of it, but I don't want I don't want to suffer sequel syndrome with uh, with Flesh Nest because you know when part two sucks, that's always disappointing. Yeah, that's fair. Feathers of Onyx is definitely going to be an ongoing series. The script for issue two is already written. We're planning to campaign for that late this year, late 2022. So keep an eye out for that. I'll post about it on my personal pages and the Demiurgent page. You can find that there. And as far as upcoming projects, we do have something that I kind of hinted at earlier called Doug Dynamite, which... (laughs) If you are a fan of 80s, 90s action movies and macho awesomeness and scary monsters and weapons and that kind of stuff, then you're going to like this. It sounds like Duke Nukem. That's it, awesome. It's uh, it, It's got some Duke Nukem. It's got some Arnold, some Die Hard, you know, any of the classic action your classic macho action hero stuff yeah with a tiny bit of a modern twist because you know modern day kind of stuff so more eclectic characters and and again this is also one that's kind of, it's an action horror is oh, what nice. we're okay. talking is what, what we're aiming for because we like scary monsters and and action and that kind of stuff so yeah quick premise of that one there's a town that is going through some horrible outbreak that seems like uh, flesh-eating monsters are involved and a covert government agency that isn't able to handle it 
goes to one of their former agents, Doug Dynamite, to clean up the mess because he was the best there is. That totally sounds like a 90s plot. Doesn't I, it? I love it. Doesn't it? Yeah, this was kind of our tri- this was our tribute to classic 80s 90s action movies and it's all Doug is modeled after my dad who got me into that stuff and he's named Doug, so That's awesome. It's also my middle name. I've never guessed that. That's awesome. I love it. I look so forward that, to seeing when that comes out. Uh, I'll I'll show you some sneak peek stuff when we're done here, but that's yeah. but that's definitely happening. Uh, I imagine summer of 23 mm-hmm. will have will have a campaign for it. So just tentative somewhere around there, spring, summer 23, look out for it. And we'll update everybody as it comes along. Yeah. And as far as stuff coming up right now, the end of the month from the, tw- the 26th and the 27th of August, the Friday, Saturday, Demi Urgent will be at... Big Kid Collectibles and Comics in Pine Top, Arizona. We'll be doing a signing. We'll be selling books, hanging out, talking shop, just shooting the shit, really. That's awesome. So if you want to come grab a Feathers book or a Flesh Nest book or just come hang out and talk and have a good time, come see Big Kid. It's a really cool shop. The people that own it are really awesome. They got video games. They got toys. They got comic books. Uh, they've got weapons and glass cases, and throwing <laughs> stars and katanas, and you know the double sword set. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in there. So, you know, come come see us. You know, you see something you like, pick up a book. Just come and do the thing. Plus, it's Pine Top, and it's much nicer in Pine Top than it is here. Yeah, that's. I'm looking forward to getting out of the heat for a couple days. Oh yeah, that's definitely. that's going to be the most exciting part for me. <laughs> but yeah, come uh, come see us at Big Kid Collectibles in Pine Top at the end of the month. Uh, make sure you're following Writer's Block. Make sure you're following Demi Urgent Creative for all this comic book madness. And as far as if you want to buy a book online. We are setting up a storefront to make that easier, which we will post a link to on the Demi Urgent page when it's finished. Should be hopefully sometime this week. But if you're interested in buying one online, you can message us at Demi on the Demi Urgent page, or you can message me directly. We'll get you taken care of. Awesome. Well, if I didn't have other stuff to do, I would definitely sit and talk more. I thought this was such a fantastic conversation. It's been so long since we've got to hang out and chat. Too long, man. And I feel like at some point down the road, we'll have you come back and probably do a follow-up if there's anything else you got going on. Or maybe spend the second time um, diving more into the musical side of it. And then maybe have you come on and, and speak of just what you saw with um, you know, with my band Fireglass and stuff. But we'll definitely, definitely have you come back and we'll have to talk more. But yeah, let's just, why don't we make it about, uh, cause like I said, I made lots of mistakes. So how about my failure at a career in music? Because this is the internet where everyone hates everyone and likes to see other people <laughs> fail. So that's fair. I think so, we can, we so, can make an episode so about I'll, failure. I'll, I'll tell you guys about the stupid decisions I made in music, the things that I should have done that I didn't pitfalls that you should not walk into and the hilarious crap that ensued with it. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic idea. I'm sure I've got plenty of my own failed stories and all the bands that I was in before Fireglass and now. So 
I think that'll be a great time. But thank you for joining me, Cole. I appreciate it, man. I'm so glad we got to make this happen. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. This was so much fun. And I would definitely look forward to having you back on. So, uh, you know, keep an eye out for all things Demiurgent. Keep an eye out for everything that Cole's got going on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Take care and tune in next time for another exciting episode of Writer's Block. That's going to do it for this episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed my chat with my good buddy Cole. I had so much fun talking with him. He's a good friend. I hadn't had a chance to talk with him in a long time. He was a longtime supporter of my old band Fireglass. Came to almost every single show that we played. He was just all around, all around just a fantastic dude. Really good friend to know. Um, be sure to follow him and all the things if you want to keep up with his comic books. Um, Demi Urgent Creative. Um, on, on the socials, on the Facebook and the Instagram and whatnot. There'll be some links in the show notes for the episode. I'm looking forward to diving into these comics. If you saw the post on my Instagram for, for the show Writer's Block, uh, he brought over a couple, one of the comics that we talked, uh, one of each of the comics that we talked about today, The Feathers of Onyx and Flesh Nest. So I'm looking forward to diving into those and seeing what they're about myself. Um, make sure to f- keep an eye on everything with Cole coming up with his upcoming releases. Um, I'm definitely going to have him back on the show. Um, we were talking off the record about doing an episode about failures in the industries, and I think that's a fantastic idea. We both have been in the music industry before, so we both can attest to various levels or different types of you know failures that you, you do along your musical journey. He could talk about things you know not to do or failures he had. Um, during this whole thing of him creating his comic books and everything, getting his uh, his uh, production company off the ground, I think that's going to be, I think it's great. I think it's going to be a fantastic idea. So, you know, stay tuned for that. That will be somewhere down the road. I have so many other people to uh, to book and, and record with to, to keep pumping out content. So stay tuned for more. Next week, I'm going to have an up-and-coming stand-up comedian from the Phoenix area on the show. I'm very excited for this. This was the guest I was supposed to have on last week, but life got in the way. We weren't able to make it happen. We were able to reschedule for next week. So I'm very excited about being able to talk to her. I've seen some of her stand-up. I follow her on, uh, or we're friends on Facebook, and she posts some of the stuff that she, she does and you know things that she posts on like, Twitter and stuff. She is very funny. And from what I've seen, she's really doing a good job of making a name for herself in the comedy circuit out in Arizona. So I'm very much so looking forward to talking to her. I am a huge fan of stand-up comedy. It was one of the things I wanted to do myself, but I'm not able to be funny on cue. Uh, I'm only really able to be funny on accident. So so stay tuned for that, where my guest next week is going to be the incredibly hilarious Miss Keeley Wolf. So you're not going to want to miss that. So stay tuned. Keep it right here on Writer's Block. Yeah.